0: Just as we start to think we've cracked the formula for the Temporary Fandoms podcast, we decide to do something completely different, and considerably more complicated. This episode features 12 contributors spread across three continents, from the US to Vietnam. So yeah, it was hell to make. We'll let you be the judge of whether it was worth it. By now you probably know the brief. We take an artist and listen to their complete discography. Then we distill it down so that you can get a comprehensive overview of an artist's career. The highs and lows, the bangers and the bollocks. Except in this episode, that's not what we're doing. Instead, we're listening to the entire 2020 Mercury Prize shortlist. Right now, you might be wondering why anyone would do that. I often ask myself the same question. But we've rounded up a posse of 10 fans daft enough to try it. And we hope that after listening to today's podcast, you'll want to do the same. So join me, Nick Hilditch, my co-host Ewan and a load of other idiots we'll introduce you to shortly for a Temporary Fandoms podcast special on the 2020 Mercury Prize.
1: Decided to do something else. Hello, though. Welcome to Temp Fans, the podcast. Um, bonus Mercury episode one, or Mercury sessions, I think we decided to call them. Um, and there's this one, and there'll be another one out in a few days. Um, Nick, do you want to do the admin
0: parts? <laughs> All right. Well, basically, this is the bit where we remind you that the best place to listen to the podcast is on Spotify basically because we edit it into a playlist and then you can hear it with all the original music that we're talking about and frankly that'll be a bit of relief from just listening to us go on about shite um but the podcast is available anyway in all the kind of usual places that you can find podcasts but you know spotify's the place to listen And also there's a Facebook group. Um, So
1: obviously we've now bigged up Spotify and we're bigging up Facebook, two of the most Uh, alternative and crazy scumbag places. No, we can't say that.
2: We're part of the problem.
1: Oh shit. I do go on about how much I hate Spotify and and Facebook. And now I'm basically telling people to go and join that Facebook group.
0: And then there's our fucking sponsorship deal.
1: And go to Spotify. Um, if anybody wants to sponsor us, that isn't Spotify <laughs> and Facebook, we'll try not to slag you off. Um, so yeah, go and find fair. us. Well, to like think right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, if you've listened to our previous episodes, uh, we have ESG and we have the Pogues. So they're very good places to start. And as we have mentioned before, what we tend to do is somebody will take us through the entire discography or history of an artist, and we'll listen to some songs. We'll have some discussion. Um, what we're doing for these two episodes is focusing on the UK Mercury Music Prize 2020. Uh, for those of you who don't know it's an annual prize that was set up to uh award the best album from england and ireland um, or scotland wales northern ireland rather than the most successful uh it was sort of the antidote to the brit awards or i would say in america maybe the antidote to say the grammys um that has been going since 1992 Ish, and there have been some very good winners who have gone on to great things and there have been some people who have disappeared into obscurity. Um, What we have done for these two sessions is we have dragged in um, a collection of willing volunteers and not so willing volunteers to introduce each Album and discuss them. We had three different sessions uh, recorded over three different time zones, including twelve different people. It was a bit of a logistical nightmare. We have the occasional sound quality dips that you might imagine with people on different uh, recording devices, but I think it's 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 come together. It's come together relatively well. Um, Nick,
0: the Mercury Prize. Um, <laughs> What's the point? It's a good question. Um, sometimes when, when I say we're gonna to listen to the Mercury music shortlist, I get a feeling that some people are a little bit, really, you know, what's that? What's that for? Why would you do that? There's a little bit of cynicism about it. But to be honest, I can't think of any other way of it, so efficiently of just getting us to listen to 12 contemporary records that somebody, somewhere thinks great, think are great. It's across a whole range of genres it gets the group to kind of confront their prejudices about different music styles, which I think is quite an important part of what we do as well. Because, you know, it's you go in with your assumptions about records, but this is an opportunity to say, well, I'm actually going to listen to this record properly now and engage with it. And at the end, you might still hate it. But I think, I think what we do, a lot of it's about trying to find new stuff. And that can sometimes mean also listening to genres you wouldn't normally listen to. And, I think uh, that's a good point.
1: I think, um, I mean, if you look at this year's shortlist which we'll obviously go through over these two episodes um, there's nothing that you would really classify as as uber mainstream even the sort of the mainstream indie ones I'm just having a look at the first the, the first shortlist back in 1992 mm-hmm. which was won by Primal Scream with Screamer Delica yeah. other bands on that shortlist were U2 oh, Simply wow. Red <laughs> okay. um, uh, Erasure, and Jesus and Mary Chain.
0: Uh, the next year won by Suede, we actually, had- Actually, it's not how I remember it. You know, I kind of yeah. remember it back then as being kind of indie alternative, leaning with a bit of jazz. Well, then when you go into the next year, uh, Suede won mm. with Suede,
1: but we also had uh, runners up, including Sting. Wow. East 17. <laughs> um, and then people
0: like New Order, etc. Okay. Um, Maybe I didn't notice until about the third year or something. It's like, and they, they kind of worked out what they were about. But obviously they kept giving it to the indie records early on. Well, they did.
1: And going through the previous shortlist, and I think this year's shortlist is good as well, it's a very good snapshot of a time so you go back to the early 90s we had primal scream and then suede and then in 94 we had m people winning that was the acid jazz year um and then 90 yeah they did that was the first year where everyone was like well
0: that's not what the Mercury's about and which is good i think good on the mercury prize panel for kind of not letting themselves be kind of hemmed into an idea of what they were about because the mix of genres is one of the things that makes it appealing Absolutely. And then in
1: 95, when we had shortlist, that included Oasis, Elastica, Supergrass, um, Portis Headwood. Then we followed by, I'm just going to go through a few, Pulp, Ronnie Size, Uh Gomez, Talvin Singh. uh, That was 99. Badly Drawn Boy in 2000. PJ Harvey, 2001. 2002, we had Miss Dynamite, (laughs) followed by Dizzy Rascal. Franz Ferdinand, Anthony and the Johnsons, Arctic Monkeys although Richard Hawley was robbed. The Klaxon, really? The Klaxons won? Oh, my God. Um, 2008, Elbow won. Now, Mm. the early Elbow albums are albums I adore. The later ones, I think, are just a little bit boring. My wife and I were very drunk watching the 2008 Mercury Prize, and when Elbow won, we literally punched the air with joy. Um, (laughs) The next year, Speech to Bell. Exactly.
0: Beautifully.
1: Um, I, I, I I remember it. That was actually the period that I I didn't listen to any of the albums on that shortlist, and I looked at the name. I went, "Speech to Bell." She's a uh, yeah. That's, that's different from the previous years. Um, and then finally we've had the XX, PJ Harvey again, Alt J, James Blake, Young Fathers, Benjamin Clementine, mm. uh, Skepta, mm. Sampha. Wolf Alice, oh my God, Wolf Alice yeah. one. That was that was a terrible record. Yeah. Um, and then last year, when that uh, um, Dave, Dave, Dave. <laughs> Dave. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- this year there is a combination of token jazz records. There's there's some soul. There's some folk. There's a lot more pop than has been on some previous years. There's a couple of uh, of token indie bands, and um, I think mm, it's quite interesting to listen to and unless you've got anything else to say nick we probably best get out of the way and and introduce our first um our first group yeah okay okay then so um what we've got now is four of the first people who are going to curate uh, we're going to have a quick introduction to see who's here. Um, first of all, we've got Zoe, who you might remember from the impeccable ESG curation. Hey, Zoe.
3: Hi, how's it going?
1: Not too bad. We've got Tim. Hey, Tim. Hello. How are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Uh, let's, we're going to assume I'm not doing too bad. Nick? Nick, obviously the co-host of this. Oh. Hello. And finally, we've got Aaron. Hello. And just so everybody knows how much of a logistical nightmare this entire two episodes was to record in terms of time zones. Zoe, where are you? I'm in Hong Kong. Tim, where are you? In Vietnam. Aaron,
4: where are you? I'm in Norway.
1: Nick, where are you? Hungary. And I'm in Spain and I'm going to do this every seg- every segment. So um, just to point out that we actually do some work with this. Okay, we're going to get on and try and keep my speaking to the minimum this time. So we're going to go straight on to Zoe, who's going to introduce the first album. We'll have a bit of a chat about that. Zoe, what is the first Mercury
3: nominee that we're going uh, to discuss? Okay, it's Stormzy. Stormzy, you all know Stormzy. And uh, the album is Heavy is the Head. It's his second album. So, yeah, he had, it's not his first time at the rodeo. And how, how long has it been since, since
1: his first? I mean, what, what's the time difference between the debut and his sophomore? His, his you soft- know what?
3: I can't remember. I don't think it's been that long. I think it's a few years, but I can't remember the gap. But he released this album in late December 2019, so it's sort of pre covid Times and it went to number one in the UK albums mm-hmm. chart so I think it was quite popular it kind of passed me by actually because I'm not in the UK and I think he's quite sort of, he's a bit of a UK phenomenon
1: uh, Was it last year he did Glastonbury? Uh, this is when I do my usual I'm the idiot who doesn't know what's going on he did Glastonbury last year was it or the year before?
2: I think it was last year because he had his special vest on didn't he and yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was last year
3: yes Banking. yes he did um, um do you want to just take over here because
1: um, just as a caveat because we're, be, as a caveat because we're on slightly different time zones um some of us are sort of european midday and some of us are drinking in hong kong
3: anyway yeah, um, yeah some people do drink in hong kong you know what can i say um so um it was the second
1: album this is the one that gets the Mercury nod he's he's he massive and much beloved by many he's he's headlined Glastonbury um what were your thoughts when you listened to this what were your takeaways what did you think was it any good do you think it should win could win why is it on the Mercury list so
3: we'll start can with I the first honest? can I be honest with you I I don't think it's his best work I think he's talented I think i you know what, I just wish he'd find a really good producer that could do him justice because I don't think this album does that and I also suspect that it's a little bit of a, an artistic compromise in the sense that perhaps the commercial element is kind of writ large on this album. So um, I don't know. I, I think he's talented. And I don't want to say a bad word against him. And in fact, when I did my very um, kind of scientific Facebook poll, just to get a feel for what people think of Stormzy, everyone fucking loves this guy. Everyone loves him. Right? So I don't really... And and I kind of asked these these hardcore Welsh Valleys hip-hop crew what they thought of Stormzy. And it was quite interesting because they were saying... I can't knock him. I can't say a bad word against this guy, but I don't like his music, which is interesting, right?
2: Well, yeah, but I mean, we we often get in. Well, people often get in arguments about really good work done by complete arseholes. So I suppose the opposite can be true. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do we think? Do we think that, as you said, maybe it's a bit more commercial when i was listening to it what struck me not so much was how it was more commercial but how it was more international that maybe it sounds more commercial for this less grimy i guess would be the word less uk centric but is that because now he's sort of obviously uh more known in the states he has more american friends he's got american producers working with him occasionally is it more of an international thing rather than a commercial thing or am i totally going down the wrong track
3: it could be, but to me, it's still a compromise. To me, like, I think he started off—he started off as like a road rapper, if you know what that is. So his kind of entry into the 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 MC type scene was a road. He he did road rap. So there's all these kind of subgenres, and then he. I'm going
1: to jump. I'm going to jump in because Nick's face and my face are exactly the same. Um, I don't know what a road rapper is.
3: Well, you would probably have to just go and listen to it right? Because it would just probably sound like hip hop to you but it's a particular kind of well I don't know maybe it wouldn't maybe you would you would see the subtleties, but it was a type of rap and then he switched to grime and that's when he kind of got successful. So I'm not really sure why he's doing this Thing that to me seems like a mix of lots of different stuff. It's quite R and B. It's demographics,
2: quite, isn't it? It's it it will hopefully sell better, right? I should imagine. Well, yeah.
3: It. I mean, to me, it's like, has this been focus grouped or something? I don't know. And, and therefore, because it's compromised, to me, it, it, its impact is lessened. You know? But what what did you what did you think of the album?
0: Um, I it was alright. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much what you said is like, you know, everyone likes the guy. I like the guy, but his music, it's not that interested. You know, it's just there. It was a bit
4: boring,
3: to be honest. Yeah, it's quite boring. And I feel quite sad about that because he's obviously super talented. And so I just think if he had the right combination of producers and and wasn't so keen to play to the gallery, then... I think
2: so. If you make a grime album that I, I, I guess some of us would like to hear, like a proper hardcore sort of grime album, then it wouldn't it wouldn't be up for the Mercury. He wouldn't he wouldn't be headlining Glastonbury, you know. Like okay. so we're kind of so we're kind of saying, you know, do we want him to be successful or not? Because <laughs> he's got obviously the right to be successful because he's got that charisma, but that means well, that he can't make a full-on fuck you hardcore grime album because nobody would but, buy yeah. it. <laughs>
3: Sure, but what about Boy in the Corner by Dizzy Rascal that won the Mercury Prize in 2000?
2: That was a long time ago. Yeah,
3: and that was a that was so it can never happen again.
2: I'd love it to happen again.
3: But I don't think that I don't think Boy in the Corner compromises in any way. Like the sounds, it's pretty. It's a tough listen. It's way too long. So I don't necessarily think that it's that. I just think that. I think he's walking that line. But I do want him to be successful. Absolutely, like...
1: Could could we also even argue, even though that's not one of the ones we're going to talk about in in this segment, that it's not even the best grime-influenced album in this year's nominees? Yeah. Uh, Maybe. um... Uh
4: <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> I mean don't you think that that if maybe if Stormzy did make that hardcore grime album it would be successful because it's by Stormzy. That yeah, might absolutely. be the thing that brings it fully to the mainstream that really makes Maybe the take next one of the genre? What he maybe said. the next one. Yeah.
1: Go through that arc and become successful and then they go right this is my proper album and then totally divide And divide the nation, lose a lot of the people who turned up because Ed Sheeran was on a track.
2: Yeah, I'd be happy if the next album is just full of Ed Sheeran beef tracks. That'd be great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bit of a lukewarm reaction so far. Um, We're going to move on and see who Aaron is bringing to the table. Aaron.
4: Hi. Um, We're going to be discussing uh, Michael Kiwanuka's third album, Kiwanuka. Uh, If you don't know, Michael Kiwanuka is a 32-year-old British singer-songwriter. He's the son of Ugandan refugees, and he was raised on the tough streets of North London's Muswell Hill of kinks lore. Uh, he spent his time as a journeyman, as a session guitarist, and he released his first album, Home Again, in 2012, which followed in 2016 by Love and Hate. Both of them went gold in the UK. He's, he's really no stranger to the Mercury Shortlist, as both were nominated. This year, finds him nominated for the third time with his most recent self-titled release. His previous album Love and Hate brought him a ton of press, and after Cold Little Heart was used as a theme for the television program Pretty Little Liars on HBO, Kiwanuka even began to gain attention in the United States. All eyes were on him to make a worthy follow-up. I'd have to say that in pretty much all ways, Kiwi Nuka betters its predecessor. Uh, the songwriting is more direct, the melodies are more immediate, and it still retains that sprawling, lazy, stoned haze of the earlier albums. It delivers an updated version of a socially conscious R&B folk hybrid of the early 70s. It's an album that's kind of haunted by the ghosts of Terry Collier and Curtis Mayfield. It does feel like a better sequel to Love and Hate. Um, much of this is the result of him once again partnering up with Danger Mouse and Inflow, the later of whom seemed to be involved in nearly anything cool coming out of London. He was the primary producer of last year's Grey Area by Little Sims, which is also nominated for the Mercury Prize, and he was the supposed mastermind behind the anonymous funk collective Salt, Uh, This album is just immaculately produced. I think the guitar sounds, it sounds like they're lifted straight up from Hot Buttered Souls. The backing vocals, they kind of seem like they'd fit at home in What Color Is Love? It just seems to avoid some of the sentimental excesses of a lot of those classics. It's got the strings that you'd expect, but the arrangements are a bit more tasteful and they're not as overbearing. I think what I love most about this is is a proper album um, in that old school sense. The whole thing kind of feels like a journey. This is one where you just kind of skip around, but you just let it play. All the songs are kind of flowing together in these suites, bridged together by interviews, inter, bridged together by interludes. You can cut that there. You can chop this up if you want, but I think the songs, they all stand alone on their own. But why would you want to? It's not like you're going to put on an album like the first track on what's going on and think, well, that's kind of enough of that. Uh, This may be why none of the singles have really sold at all, Um, but it stands as number two album in the UK. Um, I think there's some towering achievements on here. The opener, You Ain't The Problem, with its Curtis Mayfield groove is just infectious. It grabs you from the start and just that momentum keeps you through. Uh, Piano Joint is also a song of note. I think it was so moving the first time I heard it. I literally dropped everything I did and played it five times in consecutive uh, fashion once after another. Um, Hard to Say Goodbye is just this classic soul epic in that walk-on-by mold. But although it's crammed kind of in the middle of the album, so it does take away some of the momentum. Um, I notice that when I talk about this album, I'm constantly comparing it to its influences. And I think despite the fact that Kiwanuka is an amazing songwriter with a golden voice, he's a real unique talent. He doesn't really cover any new ground here. Um, As one of our members put it so perfectly, he said he likes it because it sounds old. And as someone who's kind of old, it resonates with me. Um, I've posted songs from this on my Facebook page, and the response has been just a bunch of 40-year-olds saying they love concerning um, Considering the average age of the judging panel is 42, I've uh, calculated it, I'd have to say it kind of bodes well for Mr. Kiwanuka. Uh, the album's been a critical smash. It's been landing on most of the end-of-the-year lists last year. It's a safe choice for the panel, primarily because it's just a great album. Um, I don't really want to bring politics into it um, But this is 2020 And I don't think we can escape it And you know For if for some strange reason this podcast Does stand the test of time uh, We are in the middle right now Of worldwide demonstrations against racism And police brutality And even though I don't think it will be a conscious Influence on the voting The fact that this is a socially conscious album Filled with lyrics about the black experience I think it will only work in the album's favor And I would personally get a particular joy seeing the UK-born son of African refugees win this prestigious award right on the eve of Brexit. I think the only thing more satisfying would be if his name was Michael Minkiewicz. Um, I think the safety of this choice might work against it. It doesn't cover any new ground. Um, But I'd like to argue that despite its 70s influence, it doesn't actually sound like an album from the 70s. I think Final Days in particular is a wonderful marriage of kind of retro and modern. Um, but I don't see it as being too much of a factor as this list is pretty retro this year. Um, I think the most damning thing is it's the uh, quality. Um, it's a bit of a joke, but looking back at the history of winners, how many times did they actually choose an album that turned out to be a classic for the Mercury Prize? Maybe the Arctic Monkeys in 2006? Well, I have a feeling that this album is going to be a classic, and I think that makes it doomed to lose. <laughs>
1: Obviously, obviously, Arctic Monkeys was a good album that year, but as they themselves said, Richard Hawley was robbed. Um, thanks for that, Aaron. That, that was great. That was, there's a lot in there that I want to sort of dive into. I, like a lot of people um, listening to that album this year, was one of those people who owned, who first heard anything he did as the soundtrack's Pretty Little Liars. I just assumed it was just some, some American guy who they've just, they've just got in. Um, I think you make a good point about why would you want to chop it up? It works really well as 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 an entire album. We are going to make you to choose two songs to go onto a playlist and literally chop those up. So you're gonna to have to decide which are the best two, I guess, or the most representative. And yeah, as you said, I mean, I had lots of influences. I heard lots of, lots of uh, Marvin Gaye, lots of Curtis Mayfield. Um, I think, yeah, it was at times maybe this sounds a bit trite, but achingly beautiful, but yet not mawkish at the same time. Yeah. Um, wasn't really sort of keep trying to give answers to the problems, was just sort of ruminating and mulling over um, the experience or, or, or his experiences or, or, or life experience in general. Um, what does everyone else think about this at the moment? Nick, you're leaning forward.
0: Yeah, no, I, 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 re- I mean, I really like it. It's a great album. Um I'd have been tempted to take it on if Aaron hadn't been so quick. But um, that said, it, it kinda, I kind of warmed to it slowly because I, I really liked the previous album. I've forgotten what it was called. Um, but it was, I, I first encountered Michael Kiwanuka via the Mercury shortlist of whatever year that was. I think it was like 2017 or 2016. And that one really, really grew on me. And I think by the end, um, it was one of my favorites that might have been the same year as The Comet is Coming. So he probably didn't place first if it was but um, for me forget the actual judgments. Um, but um, yeah I, I, I really like Michael Kiwanuka. Uh, uh, but I don't think I've got a lot to add to what Aaron said <laughs> yeah
2: uh, I it's, think it's good um, faint praise I'm afraid it, it, it's, it's full of, it, it, it's um, influenced by loads of stuff that I love um, the names you've all mentioned um, and it just made me really want to go and listen to them you know again, it's got nothing to do with his talent. um I think actually there a lot there's a lot of records on the list this year where there's not, there's no denying somebody's talent. It's not a bunch of chances but that doesn't it's got a whiff of the dinner party about it just you know and, and sort of a this year's this is the c d or, or you know c d whatever this is the album you must have this year there's a little bit of that to it for me, um which is not his fault. It's just I find no reason to listen to this when I can listen to Curtis Mayfield or the people we've talked about. It's... I don't know. For me to listen to something new when there's such a wealth of stuff out there that we have access to now, it has to be saying something different. Otherwise, I just don't see... I don't see the point. I, I have family members and people I know, but especially some of my family members who'd never listen to anything old. They're weird like that, but they will listen to an ersatz new version of everything. So they'll listen to, um, you know, so sort of like a new soul singer or like, you know, like an Adele or, you know uh amy winehouse or whoever and nothing against any of those people particularly but it's like why don't you ever listen to anyone like aretha franklin um or something like that and there's a there's a bit of that you know if you read about michael Kiwanuka, he gets you know he got he got sent out on tour with adele he got sent out on tour with every every one of these ersatz guys that we just get all the time now and i can't help association of lumping him in lumping him in with that. You know, it, it's, it's just too nice. It's too polite for me. It's good music. It's just there's no place in my life
0: for it. Is there a sense is there... that everyone on the Mercury shortlist is just too nice?
2: Well, yeah.
0: Maybe. <laughs> it could I mean, be I, a I, very I, I nice list. Like
2: shortlist.
1: I did like your point about it being uh, dinner party music, but I will say that, I mean, if you go back Oh, oh my God! I'm old, 25 years or whatever now. Portishead became dinner yeah. party music. You couldn't go yeah. to someone's house without Portishead Yeah. Um, uh, Zoe, would you have a? Would you put it on at a dinner party?
3: <laughs> I don't tend to have dinner parties because my flat is too small. But I will say, when I went, when I was last in the UK, I stayed in a bed and breakfast somewhere near Stefan in Wales, and. It's one of those, it wasn't a bed practice, it's like a self-catering. And it's one of those where the self-catering is separate, but there's a family living in the house. And the woman who is running it used to come and like sort of have a chat while we were trying to cook our dinner. And um, <clears throat> she loved Michael's first album. And she was a woman of a certain age and she'd been to see him live. And I'm not saying anything bad about the artist or this person but that is the audience that to me is who it appeals to so that's just not me that's just not who I am so for me it it always has that kind of feel of I think what Tim was saying of like if I want to hear something retro I'll just go and listen to that I don't need to hear something very very similar if it had even more of a twist on it then I might be a bit more open to it but it needs more
2: for me. If you took his songwriting and his vocals and you made some really sort of far out music for it, you could have almost the same album that would just sound a lot better
4: to me. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah.
3: yeah, I think I agree
4: with that. So yes. Okay, I'd love so. to see him go in that direction. Hmm. Do you think, Maybe I think, I think, can, I think final if, days? If he did kind that next, that would be me. wicked. I think final days kind of points on where he could go with the sound because I think that is a good mix of like a, a a modern type song that still kind of fits into that general retro '70s thing he's going for.
3: Well, I'm thinking of somebody like Flying Lotus who, you know, is it takes those elements but is just going forward with it. Yep. And I know there might there might not be a direct comparison there, but there's an essence there of having you know the perhaps the the chord progressions and and, and kind of having a debt to the past, but not being beholden to it, going somewhere else with it. Do we not think, I mean,
1: is there a chance that possibly the production was the issue here? Having, getting people at Danger Mouse on board, um, obviously they, they tried to do, bring something new into it, but then, if Michael wanted to go in a different direction, even with this album, having such big name producers on board go, no, 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 no. This is your sound. Let's just yeah. go with this. Well, I mean, it remi- to- in, that,
2: in that respect, it reminds me of the Daft Punk album, you know, um, because they got a lot of stick, um, by basically making a chic album. And, yeah. um, and that's not really what people, I mean, everyone bought the single, but that's not really what people wanted from Daft Punk. And then with a couple of years, away from it you can go back and see that it is a really beautifully made record um but it still hasn't got that sort of visceral thrill so with this i mean danger mouse has done a bunch of stuff that's interesting over the years um but it seems like everyone was on their best behavior for this one well why don't we
1: take that why don't we take that as a i mean it sounds like we've had a very mixed reaction aaron very passionate about it and everyone else in the room going yeah wasn't as good as its influences well, why don't we why All don't right. we now on,
4: you,
1: why don't we take a little break um the listeners can hear uh, a couple of songs from each album, make their own mind up because obviously we're not going to tell them what to think and then we'll be back in a bit to listen to the next few albums